I want to welcome you back to week three of a spiritual journey that we're on. It has some practical components to it, but it is a spiritual journey called Beyond. I want to welcome those at 1230 Making Room and Making Space, as well as those watching online or even watching this message later. Would you guys put your hands together and celebrate all of those that are watching with us? I'm going to ask if you have your Bibles to turn with me to the book of John right there in the heart of the New Testament to John chapter 6 and we're going to look at something very significant uh, in the scripture, a very significant story and it's one that's referred to by Jesus, it's one that is mentioned in every single gospel together but I know some of you maybe just are are catching up a little bit or just joining us, what's happening here? What are we doing in this Beyond series? Well, there's an understanding of the greatness of God that we're wanting to receive at this time, where we're wanting to not just know about it in theory, not just know about the greatness of God as we sing or pray to him, but we wanna make it practical and real in our lives, our understanding of the fact that Ephesians 3.20 says God is able. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we could ever ask, think, or imagine. And that verse, every time you say it, every time you read it, it stirs you up a little bit and it just kind of shakes you out of your limited perspective. But it's also a verse that we need to really explore at a deep level in multiple ways for it to be real in our lives. So that's, that's what we're doing uh, together in this. I wanna just say thank you to all the small group leaders, hundreds of you, uh, thousands of people. There's people outside of Milestone that are doing these small groups and learning about this beyond God and his ability to move in every area of our lives. And so thank you to the small group leaders and we're enjoying the devotional. Uh, look, look, little, little tip here, a little professional devotional tip. If you get behind, just catch up, you know what I'm saying? Don't get condemned, okay? Just, you know, just sit down and just do like three or four at one time and ask, you know, just put it on your head and ask God just to just put it in there or something like that, you know? Osmosis, sleep on it, you know? No, it's really cool that we're all studying the same thing together, so don't, don't, don't let it lapse, just stay with it. And every single week, God's speaking to us together. And of course, we have these messages that I'm really enjoying sharing with you because I really believe there'll, there'll be a deposit for you in this series. A deposit is something that you can transfer. You can transfer it to the people you love and the people you come in contact with. We learned the first week in this Beyond series that we all wanna know the will of God. God, what should I do with this? Where should I go? You never get to a point in your life where you don't need to know God's will. You never graduate past that. But we learned something interesting from Romans 12, that it starts with surrender. It starts with being a living sacrifice, and it says when we do that, we prove the acceptable will of God. Last week, we learned something that is in an area that we really want as well, and that is we want to know God's voice. We want to know what he has to say. We want the hotline to God, and we learned last week about how to discern God's voice and how God can speak to us and so we're learning that along the way. This week, we're gonna talk about something that we all need. We're gonna talk about when you need a miracle. Preparing for a miracle. How does a miracle work? 
And I want to be very clear, we're not trying to turn Jesus into a formula by me giving you the pattern, but I'm going to tell you, there is a pattern. There's some principles and patterns that affect this God who does the miraculous, and we're going to look at, again, a miracle four times in the Gospels and repeatedly referenced by Jesus in the training of his disciples, and because here at Milestone, we're about reaching people, but we're also about building lives and helping you develop in your walk with Jesus, I want us to look at this miracle that Jesus kept referencing over and over so we understand the pattern. Because you, you live long enough, you're going to need one. You're going to need a miracle if you live long enough. You're going to need to know how to access it. And, and, and because I'm part of our world here and our context and our situation, I'll be transparent with you. I can be way more analytical than I can leaning into the miraculous. I can almost plan God out of my life if I'm not careful. I can almost get so many analyzations and projections and predictions that I forget to include God in all of it. I don't know if you're that way, but I think that's kind of what makes us up here. We, a lot of times, again, we have matured so much that we've lost that giddy, childlike, Lord, whatever you say. You remember when you first got saved? You pray for a parking spot at Walmart. You pull in and I believe Jesus right now and then I plead the blood. Give me that front spot. You know, and what would happen? You'd get it. You're a little short on money this week, you know? You're just like, I believe the Lord for provision, you know? Then you sit down on the couch, put your hands in there and pull out $5,000 in change. Come on now. You're like, he did it. I have some cards on my dash pertaining to this journey. Literally, this journey didn't start just a few months ago. It's, it's really a vision that started 16 years ago. Thank you for your encouragement in this journey because I hear a lot of you go, Pastor, we're excited about your vision. I have so many people say, we're excited about your vision. Keep leading towards your vision. I thank you for the encouragement, but it's not my vision. I would have quit a long time ago. I would have been like, this is good. But see, it's God's vision. It's God's vision, and I'm just articulating what I believe is on the heart of God, and I really feel a sense of stewardship toward his vision along the way. I have those cards on my dash. I'm driving. I'm with my youngest. She can see behind the cards, and she goes, Dad, there's lights on in there. And I was just, I'm not talking about where you have the reserve level, you know, fuel. I'm talking, I was, I was in miracle need level. And so she goes, what's going to happen if we run out? I'm like, I don't know. I know a lot of people in Keller. Maybe somebody will stop. She said, well, I said, so we got to stop where we're going. We got to go right to the gas station. She goes, how far is it? I'm like, oh, it's over here. And so driving along the way, she goes, what would happen? We got to get there. She starts getting, and she goes, dad, I'm praying right now in Jesus' name that we make it. I was like, keep praying. Praise the Lord. We kind of coasted up in there. Reminds me of my mom that ran out of gas all the time. She was a prayer warrior. I thank you, Jesus, right now you're creating gas, you know? <laughs> As humorous as it is, when's the last time you were out in faith with God and he showed up and did a miracle? When's the last time you were living in that kind of step with God? That's what we're going to learn this week is how to be a part of what Jesus is doing in our generation. And so we have a practical step. I put a card there. I'll talk a little bit about why the card and what we're doing. And if you're a guest, you're like, why are you guys doing this? We're doing it for you. 
We're doing it for you and your friends. That's why we're doing it. That's why we're taking this step. And because we're in everyone church, we do it this way because my prayer all along the way, I really do trust that God's going to provide. My greatest prayer is that all of you would participate in what God's doing. And so I'm gonna talk about this card here in just a moment because there's some practical things tied to what God is doing and you wanna know, say, well, what's the practical thing going on? You can go to beyond.milestonechurch.com. You can see the video where I cast what I believe to be God's vision and God's next step for us. Literally been years in the making, but over a year of preparation, my wife, our staff, our elders, preparing for all of us so we could all together take this step along the way. Some of you may say, why would you do this? Well, one, because I just wanna be obedient to God. But if you wanna say bottom line, bottom line, why is Milestone Church looking to go beyond? I really prayed about that. I gathered our team together and I said, I wanna show it to you in the most practical way I can. Watch this with me. Father, I had a dream that my children one day would be Christ followers and be baptized and follow God. I had that opportunity to lead them to Christ. And as a father, it was one of the happiest moments of my life, if not the happiest, knowing that my children were making a decision that was going to impact them for the rest of their life. Then my wife and I decided to be baptized, and then my children knew that that was the next step for them. We chose to be baptized as a family together and, and share that moment and, and have that memory. And, all of us for the rest of our lives, knowing that we're together in this. I can't even explain the emotion. I mean, knowing that there I was with my family getting baptized, what that meant. I never planned that we would all be there. just have such a deep desire for my parents to know the love of Jesus like I did and so I spent three plus years praying for them and so every prayer wall we had to elevate every time that I thought of my parents salvation I just always prayed because I knew that my prayers don't return void and God hears me my parents are just amazing people and it was just that one piece that was missing from the puzzle there was a lot of just me building my faith and me believing God for what I knew he would do. And last Easter, I was backstage and it was after one of our Easter services and one of our pastors came back and said, Emily, both of your parents raised their hands and accepted Jesus just now. And I was just so overwhelmed with joy. The Lord showed me through that moment, it didn't matter how much I loved them, that he loved them so much more and he knew the exact day and the exact moment that he was gonna save them. My story and my parents' story is just a testament to God's faithfulness.
I had contemplated suicide. Um, I had told my sister that. God told her to ask me to go to church. And so I went to church with her for Christmas service. I didn't have the energy to fight her on it. And God found me and he kept me coming to church. And it finally culminated with a day that it just, I couldn't take anymore. And I just collapsed crying. And I had to, couldn't get a hold of anybody. I drugged myself to church, first time ever going by myself. And it turned out it was the Who Am I When I'm Alone series. And it was, just seemed like the message was meant for me. It hit me so hard. And I went and prayed with the prayer team afterwards. And I, you know, I went out to my car immediately afterwards and just, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. Like, I felt like it was directly for me. Like, I don't know how this could be for anybody else. And it was the most powerful moment of my life. Driving by churches would give me anxiety. When I stepped into Milestone, the first time, you know, I was expecting that, you know, this is just kind of, this is not for me, this is just all what it is, and I'm just gonna go twice. And having that emotional, almost allergic reaction where I would start to get sweaty and I would just literally break down and start crying at almost every service, the first service, the second service, third service. And uh, you have to give that some thought as to why that's happening. Looking back now, I would never have imagined I would walk with Christ and be going to church on Sunday. God changed my family. He changed my decisions that I make for my family. You know, I'm, I'm not alone uh, anymore. You know, I, I can call on him. Uh, he's, he's with me every day. He's with me in my decisions. He's with me uh, in, in thought process and, and, and in my actions. That's, that's, that's amazing. physical or mental, you name it. And then God takes me in this journey, slowly but surely, here. I feel the presence of God every, every single service. God's changing my children's lives. One of them got baptized here, and two of them are planning right now to, to be baptized. I wouldn't even dream that this would even come to reality. I wouldn't even dream that my children who were there totally different religion. Now they know Jesus. My role is to continue this relationship with him and keep praying and praying. Our God is amazing. He is the living God. All of heaven celebrates. All of heaven celebrates. When one sinner comes to Jesus and you see a living demonstration of parents praying for their children, you see children praying for their parents, you see an agnostic who says, I was all alone and, and particularly thinking about suicide and comes to know Christ and people of the Muslim faith accepting Jesus. Friends, those are miracles. 
Those are miracles in our midst every time we see it happen. And the reason we're going beyond is beyond us are more of these miracles. More of these miracles. But yet you yourself in your journey outside of us need to know how this pattern of the miraculous through the story of Jesus works. So let's look at John 6. It says, sometime after this. Again, a story, a miracle recorded in all of the Gospels, referenced by Jesus. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. Not too long ago, I was on this actual Sea of Galilee or lake that we see here. It says, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. When Jesus starts showing up and touching people, crowds of people start showing up to see what he's doing. It's what happens all the way throughout the Bible. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. Again, having been there, there was a hillside all around this lake and I could easily picture seeing Jesus sort of walk up that hillside, sit down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming toward him. It's a huge crowd you'll see in a minute. And he said to Philip, I love this about Jesus, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? <laughs> I love this Jesus teaching technique. Ask questions. Crowd, where are we going to get food for them, Philip? You ever had Jesus do that? Do you see this? Do you see what's going on? What are we going to do about it? Look what happens here. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in his mind what he was going to do. Jesus is always two steps ahead of us. He's just including us in what he's doing. Philip answered him, said, it would take more than a half a year's wage. Oh, analytical spreadsheet, Philip. <laughs> take more than a half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, problem solver, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? He understood math too. Jesus said, okay, guys, I'm gonna show you something here. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, scholars believe, due to them having children and wives and all of the crowd and collection of people, probably 20,000 people are gathered here in this moment. Jesus then took the loaves from this boy, and he gave thanks. He blessed it. He distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five, these five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Because Jesus is not just enough, he knows how to provide more than enough. That's what he does. Let's look at this pattern. Again, I say pattern, God does things in lots of different ways, but when the Bible gives so much repetition and emphasis, he's trying to show, God's showing us something here. As I see it, here's what I see the components are. Number one, a biblical miracle always starts with a need. A biblical miracle always starts with a need. 
Everybody says, I wanna see God do the miraculous, we just don't wanna have miraculous problems. We just don't wanna have big needs. We wanna have big God stories, we just don't wanna have big God problems. We don't wanna have big God fears. We don't wanna have God push us out of our comfort where we've gotta really trust God, but we do want God to show up. And I wanna tell you, here at Milestone, on a consistent basis, whether it's our pastoral care team from cards you turn in, our staff praying over your needs to the prayer cards on the back, to us fasting and praying at the start of this year, Saturday night before prepare, God, Saturday morning actually, God spoke to me and said, I wanna, I wanna, do, I wanna heal people, and on Monday night we had documented healings of people that had retinas, a hole in the retina that God healed. We had God show up. We, we pray for your needs. If you're here and you're like, I've got big problems, well, here's, here's the good news. God is able. And if you have a big problem, then guess what? You're poised for you to see a big God in operation. You're in the perfect place to see a big God do big things. Right now here at Milestone, though, we always think about you. I'm always thinking about you, praying for you. But we, as a family, have a big problem. We have a problem in larger services right now, parking people, and if we don't make space, then here we are in a region of the country that by God's divine hand, he's moving people from everywhere around our country. I heard a realtor the other day call Keller, California. In our 101 classes, 60, 70% of the room are not from Texas, and as I always love to say, welcome to the promised land, at least you made it home, praise the Lord. People are moving here. Our church is poised and ready to preach the gospel, to train them, not just to see them saved, but to see them become disciples of Jesus Christ. But to do that, we have to have space, so we have a need. I love it when I tell people that. I say, look, man, we were in, in, in Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve services, we did like a 1,000. I don't even know my name on Christmas. My kids are excited about Santa Claus. I need a therapist, y'all know what I'm saying? We did service after service after service, but on Christmas Eve, we still had people in our commons. We had overflow. We have a biblical need. Now, when I tell people that, they're like, Pastor, that's a good problem to have. You know what I say? It is a great problem. It's such a great problem, I'd love to share it with you. So we all can have this problem, and really in an everyone church, did you know it doesn't mean in an everyone church just that we care about everyone, but we do. Not that we just pray for everyone's problems, and we do. Not that everyone's welcome, and they are. It also means in a family, everyone cares about the problem. Everyone cares about what Jesus has in his mind and the agenda that Jesus has. And here's our problem. Our problem is if we wanna see more stories like this, then there are moments where there are people who may not be able to get in and we just would have to put a sign out that says no vacancy. And when you're in a church that is reaching people, it comes with some problems. It comes with some inconveniences that when, when God's not doing anything, when there's not crowds looking to touch Jesus, you don't have those problems. But because God wants us to be a river of his blessing, not the dead sea that is stagnant, when you get in an atmosphere where the river of his blessing is flowing and touching the lives of people, you end up with some problems in reaching those people. We're addressing those problems. You can, again, find this on our website, but 
We have a project to expand this worship center. By the way, we built it to expand. We did not want to incur unreasonable debt. We did not want to over push our stewardship of you. And so it's been two years since we've been in here, but we built this auditorium to expand by 900 seats. The screen sizes, the sound, the volume. So right behind those walls back there, we built it to expand. We did not believe it was good stewardship to build all the seats when we moved here, but it was poor stewardship to not plan to expand the seats. We're gonna expand our commons to accommodate more people. I know we need more room in the commons because I stand out there and shake hands and I see the crowds of people going, hello, bless you, praise you. (laughs) We need new kids building so we can continue to train up the next generation of leaders that will go further than us. And we need more parking spaces. Here's another thing about a biblical miracle. A biblical miracle starts with a need, but the need is sensed by a group of people. I love this. The one who doesn't make the count in the Bible, the boy, is actually part of the miracle. The disciples sense the need and they got a chance to distribute it. So everyone gets to participate in the process. I love that and that's the way Jesus works. He uses everybody, he just looks for availability. He looks for willingness. Do you wanna be a part of my miracle story? If you do, then I can use you and I can use what you have. And so I, I know that there's, there's this, this mental side to miracles, this, this construct, this religious ideology that, that I know I've struggled with, but, but if those of you, this is for those of you growing up in church, here's kind of how we think miracles work. Uh, first of all, we, 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 we a lot of times are afraid to admit we have a need. So you get in a little prayer circle, right? And everybody's gathered around, you hold hands. Forgive me if you did not grow up in church. This is the way it works sometimes. Does anybody have a need? Unspoken. Okay, cool. Uh, what, what they have. And then we don't want to admit we have a need, but everybody in the circle has a need. And then we're scared to pray. So the leader does this, says, well, if you can't pray, just squeeze the person's hand beside you. So they all squeeze and it comes right back around to you. This is how it works, come on now. Now you're stuck there. And what do you pray? Well, you pray what we a lot of times think in our heart. We're giving this to you, Jesus. I hear people say it all the time. I'm I'm just giving it to Jesus. Well, well, that's part of the equation, but just get the thought here. I'm I'm, I'm giving my problems to Jesus. I'm, I'm giving my... Kids to Jesus, especially when they're acting like brats, Jesus, come get them now. (laughs) Now, I'm giving all this to you, Jesus. And so we sing songs to Jesus, and I'm giving it all to Jesus. And even very encouraging people go, Jesus is big, and he's going to do this for us. Now, he's not going to do anything with me. I'm just going to celebrate what he does through everybody else, because I gave it all to Jesus. Jesus says in Mark, when you look at the other section of this miracle, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You you are the distribution mechanism that I'm going to use because I'm gonna show you how to partner with me in miracles. That's what changes the dynamic of an atmosphere. That's when you keep seeing Jesus show up in an atmosphere and environments where, see, there's a fine line between stewardship and unbelief. It's a fine line between I got all my plans, but really I'm driven by fear and unbelief. Jesus says there's times where he goes, you know how I'm going to do the miracle? I'm going to do it 
with all the blessing I've poured out on you. You give them something to eat. By the way, that's a biblical pattern. I was reading in Hebrews 11 in my own quiet time this week. Just, I mean, how many of you know you get something fresh from the Bible every time you read it? This, this, this great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in our race says Abel's offering was approved by God and it showed faith. It talked about Moses and Moses' parents' faith and it talks about them participating. Noah builds a boat when it's not raining. Jesus comes, even in the gospel, someone, do you wanna be made well? Then pick up your mat and walk. So in, I understand, look, I am perfectly confident and actually my heritage and grounding is very centralized around the fact that God is God and he's God all by himself. And he is able and he is strong and he does what he wants. But look, a lot of times when we're going, Jesus, just do your will, he's going, my will is to use you. My will is to get you on board what I'm trying to do in my generation and your generation. So sometimes that's just the way it works. I'm completely confident in God's ability. I just wanna sometimes be the conduit by which he does it. So a lot of times when people say, God's gonna do a miracle, they're not talking about a miracle, they're talking about magic. Poof. And a lot of times God wants to use us. A biblical miracle starts with a need sensed by a group of people, but then that group of people have to step out in faith, regardless of the odds. Why is it important to mention the odds? Because if you really think about this story, let's not just over-spiritualize it. You've got a boy with a lunch, okay? And food was hard to come by. This is a big deal. We don't catch it because we, we there's, look, it's late in the day. There's no Uber Eats, there's no local restaurant here. Food was hard to, to get, took time to prepare, and so it was scarce, and so that's why the Bible draws into that miracle. American Airlines Center, 20,000 people. Boy with Happy Meal. Are you with me? Andrew, Peter's brother, looking around for a solution, goes, boy with a lunch. Probably felt like those people that sat at my lunch table as the big kid when I was growing up. I was always there eating my food, scanning what everybody else was gonna leave. You gonna eat that? Praise the Lord, brother. Give it to the big lineman. <laughs> Little boy's over there with a lunch. I got a boy with some lunch here. I call it dog bowl spirit. You ever get around people that are like, Dead Sea. Dead Sea. Why is it hard for us to give up our lunch? This boy did it. What a story he had. It's hard to care for others when we're comfortable ourselves. It's hard to think about someone else when you go, hey, it's all good. I've got a seat. I've got a park. Somebody made a place for me. It's hard sometimes to get outside of ourselves and think, okay, this is bigger than me. This is more about what God's doing. So it's, it's hard when you're comfortable yourself. This little boy, due to maybe his preparation, his mom's preparation, his dad's preparation, he had a lunch. He had himself taken care of, and he could have just said, you know what, I'm not gonna give my lunch away. The other side to this, though, is God asks us to do things. If you really read the Bible, I tell the people that all the time, like, if you really read this, 
it just, it's mind-blowing. God asks us to do things that just don't make sense sometimes. There's times, and I'm not saying you have to get a lobotomy to follow God, and that God doesn't work with our nature, but again, when's the last time you, 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 you just partnered with God in something that doesn't make sense? 5,000 men, 20,000 people, one little lunch. I always like to think, though, what about that little boy when he came home? Mom and dad, you're not gonna believe what happened today. You're not gonna believe it. Are all your miracle stories in the past or do you have any new ones? You have any new ones? You're not gonna believe this, mom and dad. You're not gonna believe it. Jesus took my lunch and like fed all these people. And he had a story to tell for generations. Remember, we want something to impart. You, you want your kids to know the perfect will of God? Do you surrender? You want your children to follow the voice of God, do you take time to listen to it? You want your kids to have a giddy, childlike faith that says, my God is able to do whatever? Are you afraid and do you let your fear dominate you? So you transfer, not what you think, you transfer who you are and what's really happening in your heart. This boy had a story to tell, and I believe if he stood right here in front of Milestone Church, I believe this is what he would say. God multiplies whatever you offer him. God multiplies whatever you offer him. I know you have strategies and plans and spreadsheets and things. Is God in there? What, where's God's part in it? I wanna encourage all of you with that. As you're planning, as you're building out your stewardship spreadsheet, like where's the God factor? Where's the what if? Where's the but God? Where's the but God? Because if you get it in his hands, notice, he can bless it and then he can multiply it. You can't multiply it in your own hand. But in God's hand, it can multiply. Let me ask you this question. What do Chad Pennington, Giovanni Carmazzi, Chris Redmond, Mark Bulger, T. Martin, and Spurgeon Wynn all have in common? Some of you are like, those are a bunch of names of people I don't know. And the reason you don't know them, they were all quarterbacks who were drafted ahead of Tom Brady. He was 199th draft pick of the sixth round. <laughs> Overlooked, but remembered by the lady in the back. Behind me is a football. Those of you new to Texas, it's a big deal around here. It's a football. In my hands, it's Uncle Rico. Come on now. Back in the day, back in the day, I had it. Come on. Back in the day, I had it. But in Tom Brady's hands, it has less air. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It has... No, sorry, Tom, if you're watching, I mean, just playing, just playing. <laughs> In Tom Brady's hands, six Super Bowls. Whether you like him or not, that's a pretty big deal. It changed the history of professional sports. Breaks down because Tom Brady's not God, though he accomplished some great things in football. Here's the principle. 
I know you want to keep it in your hands. When you put it in the hands of someone with so much more ability, it can multiply. It can multiply. It can multiply. Like you, my wife and I, we've just been discussing this and praying about it. And uh, we, we've, we've done this for years, you know. Um, one of the blessings of pastoring a growing church is um, you never have to wonder why you're doing it because you have transformed lives. When you're a little tired and you're like, oh man, we gotta go here again and I gotta give up my lunch again, you always remember the stories and that's why I weep at every baptism and every story. The challenge with it is you can't lead people where you're not going. So as a transparent look, you know, my wife and I, we've, we've sold things and given up things and we're, I wanna tell you with full commitment, we're not gonna hedge, we're gonna, we are going to go there again with all of you. We are going to. I'd love to tell you that it's just like the start of that is, wow, oh, praise God, you can have my lunch. I can get a little, we're, we're, we're going to. But I asked my wife, I said, honey, what, what would you say? And she said, Jeff, here's where it's, really, where it's really found. She said, if you remember, if you remember God's faithfulness, I wanna encourage some of you with this, your fear about God's lack of provision for the future does not match his faithfulness. He has provided. And so she said, Jeff, the reason I'm willing to live open-handed is she said, look, we can look back and see God's provision in our lives. We've sold everything, put our house equity up, planted churches, given, sacrificially given. God's always been faithful. And you know what it brought to my mind? Jesus referenced this on that same sea. I was out in the middle of it. Storm comes and Jesus actually references, you couldn't face your next storm because you forgot what happened with the loaves and the fishes. Jesus did that a few times. Remember that loaves and fishes thing? Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Now some of you, you're having your first loaves and fishes moment. It's gonna be awesome. But can I encourage some of you that are at a new loaves and fishes moment? Stay anchored to remembering his faithfulness, not your fear, not your worry. Remember, he's always faithful. I wanna pray for you as you go into this week. Father, thank you for this week that we will remember. Help us, Lord. Help us with our analysis, paralysis, projection, process. Thank you that you help us be good stewards. But Lord, let us remember your faithfulness. Let us remember right now as your disciples what happened in this moment where you provided multiplication. Let us partner with you. Lord, I pray for every single person, every child, every young adult, every teenager. Lord, that as we remember your faithfulness, we'd be willing to offer out of our hands something into your hands so you could multiply it. You provide seed to the sower. You use conduits and rivers. Let us not be a reservoir of protection, but a river of your blessing in Jesus' name.